toughest road trip of the season ends tonight and it gets followed up by a primetime matchup on Wednesday against the Nets. This is Round Ball Roundup on UtahJazz.com. I'm JP Chunga. Mike Breen, the voice of the NBA, or at least one of the voices for ESPN NBA. You know him on the finals. He talks jazz basketball and one of his weird pandemic interests. We want to hear that when we talk to him. Podcast brought to you by Bailey's Moving and Storage. Bailey's Moving and Storage. We move you every step of the way, near or far, big or small. Bailey's Moving and Storage. The take from the weekend for me is that not only are you getting through this weird stretch, middle of the season malaise, because it's not to the level of those first half jazz, but there's still moments where they have an 8-0 Donovan Mitchell run to seal it against Toronto, and you see, okay, they can still grind out results. They can still win. They can get it done. It wasn't what it was against the Wizards the night before. They played to the caliber of winning the game. So going forward, the big games are going to be at home. And with the injury of LeBron James and Anthony Davis being out, seeding for this team might go the way that it wants with them eyeing that number one seed. Because the Lakers don't care about seeding. They're hoping for LeBron to put on those LeBron superpowers and get it done when the postseason's going. Phoenix is gunning for it. And as we talked about with Sirit Sohi, they could be a factor in the end of the season. Their point differential is inching closer and closer to the Jazz. They're a plus 7.2 according to Clean the Glass. That's what the rest of this season's about. It's about seeding for the Jazz. And the longest swing that they have, it's at the end of the month. It includes Phoenix. But before that, they play at Minnesota and at Sacramento. Manageable games. And they play Phoenix on the front end of a back-to-back. Who are they going to rest? Will they just want to get out of there as the last game of a road trip before coming home? That's what I'm keeping an eye on for the rest of the way. Seating imperative for this team wanting to get it done. And if Phoenix says not move in them, this is the time to do it. I was in the Woj pod on Friday, and he said the deals are going to be done starting Monday when everybody has the attention off the NCAA tournament. Games are still going on, I know. But executives are starting to make those calls, and those talks are getting more serious. Everything is coming up to the deadline, which is on the 25th, Thursday. We'll see who moves the chess pieces, because this Western Conference race could get highly competitive at the top if Phoenix keeps pushing, if that Tory Craig addition works in improving their defense even more so, they could be pretty fearsome. Because if you remember back to the game earlier this year, they were pushing the Jazz off the three-point line. These two teams are much different from when they met earlier in the season. These aren't the same Suns and Jazz. So as they compete for top spots in the standings, You have to think, number one is the priority for Utah. As always, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Really appreciate it. You're the lifeblood of the show. Five stars, nice reviews, that's all I ask of you. Let others know that you're listening to the podcast. Now, let's talk to Mike Breen. I don't know about you, but in my group chats, whenever I'm talking to my friends and somebody has a good one-liner, we use bank. We use the Breen catchphrase that has gone worldwide. He is the voice of highlights 
playing in my head when I think about NBA games on a national level. Pleasure to talk to Breen. He's going to be on the game on Wednesday. Please enjoy Hall of Famer Mike Breen. When it comes time to move, it's always a hassle. Loading everything in the truck, hoping the priceless antique from your mother doesn't break, and trying to juggle the kids and dog in the middle of it all is enough to drive anyone crazy. But it doesn't have to be that way. The friendly, background-checked movers at Bailey's Moving and Storage have the expertise to move your family across town or even around the world. So when it's time to move, think Bailey's Moving and Storage. Call today at 801-218-2640 or check them out online at baileysallied.com. Pleasure, JP. But um, I always, always say, there's not one voice in the NBA. There, there are so many. Um, you know, the Jazz have their great uh, commentators. Every team has their great commentators. I'm just honored to be one of the voices of the NBA, um, and it's a privilege to be with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I'll go ahead and get out the the silly stuff at the beginning because when I, when people. I, I asked around, what should I ask uh, Mike Breen? I'll name names. Cassidy Hubbard said you watch Tiger King. And I was blown away that a man of the caliber of Mike Breen would watch Tiger King. What were your thoughts on the show? What made you put it on? <laughs> well, well, let's say it was um, um, pandemic-induced uh, type of, of choice because <laughs> – as we all know, we were all sitting around not doing a heck of a lot of anything um, when the virus first took a hold of the whole country. So you were just looking for something to take your mind off it. And <laughs> that certainly took my mind off it. I'm not proud to say that I watched it, but I, uh, I also have to uh, humbly admit that uh, I was entertained by the show. Okay. See, usually, you know, when I say I'm watching this reality TV show, this reality documentary, they're like, okay, that's very to type, JP. Yeah, you, you watch that type of stuff. You watch Riverdale. You like these type of shows. When I hear Mike Breen watch Tiger King like the rest of us, I was amazed that you were sinking down in the sewage with everybody. <laughs> well, I do have, uh, I have three children who are now young adults and Sometimes you have to watch these things and keep up on these things, at least to remain semi-hit in their eyes. So that, that was part of the process. But let me redeem myself with a recommendation to you, if you haven't watched it already, and okay. recommend, recommend it to anybody. Uh, the show Ted Lasso. Have you seen Ted Lasso? I've gotten the recommend a lot. Oh, you've got to watch it. It, it, it bent in so many ways. Okay, sell me on Ted Lasso. Um, you'll laugh. Uh, you'll find the acting uh, just tremendous, and it's also very touching and moving at times. So you get a bit, a little, little bit of laughter and occasional tear in the eye. It's, um, it's a nice balance between all the, and there's a lot of great television uh, shows on there. But it's a nice balance between all the shows that have all the negative and the anti-heroes with the with this show that uh, that kind of touches your heart a little bit i'm glad that covid quarantine whatever you want to call it lockdown can produce tiger king and also ted lasso what you're saying <laughs> the best and the worst of things have come out of this entire time sounds like absolutely jp absolutely all right to the more serious topics basketball oh how serious that is but I've heard you describe your story about creating Bang 
was in the stands in Fordham and you would yell it with students. People have heard that story. What I want to know, what is the type of bang that you're going for? Is it books crashing? Is it the uh, immovable force meeting the unstoppable object? What is bang when you're saying it? Well, I haven't really, I haven't really given it that much thought. The whole idea is, is to have a, a nice, excited, but extremely concise call when there's mayhem in the arena. And um, that's why the majority of the time that I use bang is when it's the home team that hits the shot, uh, because that's when the crowd goes nuts. That's when you need to get in and out with your call and, and let the crowd take over. Uh, I'm not saying I, I haven't called uh, some bangs on the road for, for road teams, but the majority of the time it's, it's for that to kind of help you use the crowd. I've always been my whole career uh, using the sound of the crowd as a big part of the call. I think, uh, I think it's, it's important. In fact, um, it's the one thing that I miss so terribly, even though we're starting to get fans back. Um, it, just to not have the crowd there, it doesn't feel right. Um, I've used this phrase over and over again, JP, during the pandemic, because I, I, I read it somewhere. I wish I can remember the, the person who coined it, but I can't, uh, that fans are the oxygen of sports. And I feel that way even more so now with uh, what we've gone through in the last year. So that's kind of the, the, the reason I use it. And that's most of the time why I use it when the home team hits the big shot. Well, then how does bang happen during quarantine? Are you saying bangs in, in your basement, in your, in your home <laughs> studio? How do, you, how do you generate the energy for a bang nowadays? Well, the answer is yes, I still use it, uh, but it doesn't feel the same. It just doesn't feel the same to me. It didn't feel the same to me down on the bubble uh, in Orlando last year. Again, the, the crowd is so important. Um, and as far as finding the energy, uh, I think you're probably the same way because you're such a big NBA fan. You know, certainly it's bizarre to, to broadcast a game from my basement. And this is actually the place where I, I call a number of ESPN games. Uh, but once the game goes and these magnificent players start doing their thing, um, you know, I've loved the game since I was, uh, since I was a boy. Uh, your, your enthusiasm for the sport takes over. So summoning the energy uh, is not the difficult part. The strange part, though, is after, you know, you're hooting and hollering off for a big player screaming bang. And now you're looking around and there's no, there's nobody in your basement. Uh, so that, that takes a little getting used to. And hopefully I won't have to get used to it too much longer. Well, I suppose I can tell you're a big basketball fan. You have two Papa shots right behind you. Yes. Again, when, when, when you have uh, three kids uh, back in the day and they have all their friends, you, you have to have something to keep them company. Although, um, Quite honestly, I, I like to do it myself, and I challenge anyone to a Papa Shot game that wants to. I'm willing to. Uh, I'm willing to go up uh, with the competition. What's the record? Are you the one that runs the household at, at the Breen Casa? <laughs> no, no. What is it? There's no, there's no record, Jake. We just uh, sometimes it's for fun, sometimes it's to let out your frustrations. Um, but it's been uh, it's been a nice thing to have. Where did your love of basketball? come from because for new york there are so many so much in that soup of basketball when you have the knicks you have st john's you have all those great big east performances in madison square garden where did it start for you in learning love of basketball and figuring your way into this game that now is your life as one of the 
voices for the league? Well, JP, I grew up, I was one of six boys, no sisters, uh, just six boys. And when you grow up in a house of six boys and your father's a big sports fan, uh, sports is not an option. It's, it's a way of life. So right from the get-go, uh, I loved all sports. And basketball took hold for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, I was eight when the Knicks won the championship, when Willis Reed hobbled out and they defeated the Lakers in 1970. Um, and then I had three, three of my brothers who were older than me, and one of them was a really good basketball player. Uh, so watching him play uh, caught my interest. And then when I started playing as a kid, uh, there was just something about the team aspect of basketball, the team sport. You know, other sports are great, the individual sports, but, um, you know, to, to get out there and, and play with four others on the court and have it work, and the idea of five players working together can beat a team of five even much more talented players who don't work together, that captured me when I was when I was little. And to this day, it's, it's the part of the game I love, seeing the ball move, seeing – help defense. Um, it's, it's that team aspect that I fell in love with probably again, since I was about uh, seven or eight years old, where it first started and, and then the Nick championship cemented it. And then, you know, it just it continued to grow. How have you seen the game change from watching as a boy to where we're at now, where you have analytics influencing some basketball decisions where the three point line has been so influential? Well, it's, it's changed in so many different ways. The game is played differently. It's coached differently. It's officiated differently. And I'm just talking, talking about the NBA. Um, you know, I think one of the reasons we've seen such changes is that today's players, the athleticism and the skill level and what they can do is just so off the charts that in, in some ways, sometimes it's, it's, it outgrows the game. You know, you're always hearing talking about, oh, should they raise the rim? Should they... Uh, put the three-point line further out. And, and that might happen someday. I hope it doesn't because I still love the traditional aspects of it. Uh, but I think because of, of now there's so many different things for a young player to get better at so quickly with uh, so many different coaches and, and physical therapists and all these kind of things, it's made it where um, these, these young men right now in the NBA, the, the, the things they're doing, the range shooting, the skill level, ball handling, uh, no matter if they're six feet tall or seven feet tall, it's crazy. But the analytics is a big part of it. Obviously, the three-point shooting. Um, but it does go in cycles. You know, for now, uh, that low post, old traditional low post is, is kind of uh, a dinosaur now in the NBA. Uh, I'm hoping at some point it comes back because I always love that part, the in and out part of an offense and, and using a low post center to, to initiate the offense, things like that. Um, but it's such a different game in terms of the right now, in terms of the pace, uh, in terms of the long range shooting and the game is officiated to really help out the offense. You know, say, for example, back in the 90s, um, you know, a, a physical, strong defensive team, they were considered the favorites, not the team that knew how to shoot three pointers. Um, so it just it goes in cycles. And I like every cycle. I, I like all different things. Uh, but I do miss I do miss the low post uh, part of the game and and. The nonstop three-point shooting some nights can be a little rough on the eye, uh, but it's amazing the range these players have. I know that's a long-winded answer, so I apologize. All good, because the Jazz are on the cutting edge of that sort of three-point revolution. And we'll be able to see how that goes in this high-powered matchup on Wednesday night. What leaps off the page when you're preparing for 
the Utah Jazz against the Brooklyn Nets? Well, it goes back to what I said before, JP, of why I fell in love with the game. Uh, they're so connected. Uh, that's the word I use when I watch them. And they're connected at both ends. And that starts with a great coach. Um, Quinn Snyder is, is as underrated as any coach, basketball coach on any level. Uh, he does an amazing job getting them to buy in. Um, and then, of course, you have to have the players who want to buy in and the players who want to sacrifice their individual games uh, for the sake of the team. And when I watch the Jazz, that's what I see. And again, at both ends of the court. And that's the other part. Um, you know, we all love the three-pointers and the, and the windmill dunks and the fast breaks. Uh, but I love watching great defense and the Jazz are a great defensive team and they've got not only some terrific individual defenders, uh, but they've got a team concept again that's so connected. So that's the first thing I think of connected and a team that even though they might face another team that might have more individual talent uh, because of how well they play together, uh, they're capable of winning every single night. What do you think happens if Rudy Gobert goes back to the 90s and is allowed to bruise it up <laughs> with some of those bigs of that era? You know, it's funny. Um, you know, you get asked this all the time about different players in different eras. And, and I think it's impossible to compare different players. You know, you hear the, the Michael Jordan versus LeBron James, um, you know, greatest of all time. I, I just I can't get into that because it's impossible to, to, to say because, again, the game was so different even from when Jordan played to LeBron James played. But what I will say is great players, you know, whether you're a Rudy Gobert or you're a Donovan Mitchell, um, you figure out a way to play in any era and you'd make the adjustment and you'll figure out a way to star and succeed and excel uh, no matter if you're playing in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, because that's what these great players do. They, they work so hard on their games in the off season that, you know, if, if Rudy Gobert had to develop a low post game because that's what mattered in the NBA, uh, you'd probably see him do more of that. Um, and same thing with, with, with all the players. The great players can play in any era. I, I just imagine him playing defense with those bigs. It would be so much fun to watch. Bring up Donovan Mitchell, fellow Met fan. Why do you guys do it to yourselves of rooting on for the Mets as they've given you so many years of torture? Well, I've, I've actually talked to Donovan about this. Obviously, you know, his, his dad has worked for the team for a long time. Um, but to me, the beauty of being a fan, and it's the sport that I, I can really, you know, be a fan and be objective. Um, I still love when the NBA season ends. I probably go to about 25 Met games uh, during the course of the summer. I just I love sitting at the ballpark and watching. Uh, but the beauty of the fan is when you finally have that year, when it all comes together, there's, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it in the world. And, you know, it's even those years where maybe your team doesn't win at all, but they overachieve. Nothing was expected, but all of a sudden they make the playoffs and win in the first round. Those are the special years that you, you can't believe. And, and some of my favorite teams over the years weren't the teams that won everything, but it was the teams that overachieved and had players that, that really seem to play together. Um, and for the Mets, yes, there's been, it's been a lot of misery. It's very nice of you to bring that up. Uh, but when, uh, and I say we, when we win the World Series this year, it'll all be worth it. Oh, you're already projecting it. Oh my, look at you. The, the, the optimism of the off season has swept over you. Well, let's, let's, I, I won't get carried away because I've pretty much predicted a World Series victory every year for the past 20, so. 
Well, you know, they made it to the World Series a couple of years back. So you were almost yeah. close, almost right yes. here. Yes, they did. I just, it's a great sport. It's a, I love to watch it. I played it in high school, played it as a kid, and uh, it's, it's just fun to go to the ballpark. My New York parents, Yankees fans, so they've been spoiled in their time rooting on the baseball team from New York, which I'm sure when I talk to Met fans, they really empathize with that, you know, the 26 ring, all, all of that. It's, it, yeah. Well, one of my best friends in the world is Michael Kay, who is the voice of the Yankees for 20 plus years. So, you know, for a number of years, I kind of had to root for the Yankees to do well, just because I wanted him to, he's such a great friend. I wanted him to have, have the team to, to root for and go to a World Series, et cetera. But after they won a bunch of them, I stopped. <laughs> I said, "You gotta, you gotta love anymore." <laughs> Back to the Met fan Donovan Mitchell. Uh, what have you seen from him in his first three years, full years in the NBA, going into his fourth uh, this season with this team? Well, like, like all the great players, again, every year they come back and there's something more. You know, sometimes it's it's a big change. Um, like they really improve their range. Sometimes the the, the change is subtle. Um, and like for example, shot selection. And, and I've always believed, you know, the great players. You look at great players, and you wonder why, boy, what a great shooter he is. But then they're only shooting forty percent from the field. Well, it's not necessarily because they're not a, a great shooter. It's because their shot shot selection is so so poor. But when they improve that shot selection. Um, obviously, um, the percentage goes up, their scoring goes up, and often their shot attempts go down because they don't have to take as many shots, and they're not taking bad shots. And that's what I've, I've seen from, from Donovan Mitchell in, in the games that I've seen and the games I've done. His shot selection is so much better because he's just reading the floor so much better, and he understands the NBA defense, and that's the natural progression. But you can see the work that he puts into. He's in phenomenal shape. Um, shot selection is better. His, his playmaking is better. Um, and just his overall decision-making and reading the game, um, I think, is, is taken a big step. I, I just I love watching him play because he plays with such joy, and um, he's team first all the time. He still has that humility. Um, he's, he's one of my favorite players to watch. He's been such a bright star for this state and a great representation of the franchise, that's for sure. Yeah, no, he's everything that's right about the NBA. There's no question about that. The Nets, with what they bring, they won't have Kyrie for Wednesday. It was just announced earlier this morning that he'll be dealing with a family issue. But they still have Harden. What are they doing so right where they're vaulting up the Eastern Conference standings and they haven't had at least one of their stars in Kevin Durant? Well, uh recently I think the big jump has been they're now trying defensively because at first they weren't and it's great an offensive team and they can be one of the all-time offensive teams in NBA history uh, their defense was so poor earlier in the season and they got embarrassed a few times and, and I think it really motivated them to think hey listen uh, we need to change it um, they're also motivated individually and, and lots of times JP I find that's that's a, a big thing for, for a particular player. It's not so much that you have a player, but if you get the player at the right time. James Harden is motivated 
not to lead the league in scoring. He's motivated to win the championship. I'm not saying he didn't want to win it in the past, but it is now far and away number one on his agenda. And, and I've never seen him play better. Um, you know, as great a skill as he has and as dominant as he was in Houston, and he had to play that way for them to win every night, especially against the big teams. There were some nights it wasn't enjoyable to watch him just, you know, pounding outside on the perimeter and, and doing a lot of stuff just by himself. His playmaking skills is off the charts. I mean, right now, he, his playmaking skills rival anybody in the league. And uh, I've never seen him play better. I've never seen him get his teammates, make his teammates around him better. Um, and he's just playing at an incredible level. And as you mentioned, they're doing a lot of this without one of the most lethal scorers in the history of the league in, in Kevin Durant. Um, so when Durant comes back, let's see how it all fits. Because, you know, you've got these two Kyrie Irving, James Harden, guys who like the ball in their hands, um, guys who can score. They've figured out a way to make it work. And boy, is it working. Now you bring in a third, it becomes a little more difficult. As long as they're all willing to sacrifice uh, for the sake of the team, uh, they'll be unstoppable. Um, I, I just think it's going to be so hard to beat that team four times in one playoff series. So if they continue to progress defensively, and Durant fits in seamlessly with the other two. Um, I would say that they would be, in my opinion, they would be the favorites right now um, to win the title just because of the offensive potential. There, there are times they're unguardable. They are. And it's been noticed by the entire league in, I'm sure, some teams, those in the Eastern Conference, those in the West, would want to address those issues trade deadline coming up. There's also another huge story in New York, the Knicks. How is this Nets ascent also balanced with what the Knicks are doing in being tough and, and fighting their way into the playoff picture as both teams are doing well at the same time? Well, if you're an NBA fan in New York, it's, it's wonderful. Um, there's never been a real rivalry between the Knicks and the Nets because they've never been good at the same time, or I shouldn't say never. Uh, they've rarely been good at the same time. And, you know, for, for a true rivalry to develop, it has to be uh, postseason uh, history between the two teams. And it just really has hardly ever happened with these two. But to see one team that has a complete different agenda this year, and that's to win a title, and the other team is to get back to the point where people around the league say, wow, the Knicks are on the right path. That's been really fun because – um, in New York, the Knicks, they're the number one basketball team. It will always be a Knicks town, and their fans are so starved. You mentioned about the Met fans. The Knicks fans are so hungry and starved just for a team that's competitive, and they have that. Um, Tom Thibodeau has proven the importance of a really strong, tough professional head coach who, who truly holds his players accountable and who truly not only makes them play hard in, in games, makes them play hard in practice. Uh, he's done an unbelievable job. I think him, along with Quinn Snyder, Monty Williams, Doc Rivers, all coach of the year candidates uh, for the job that they've done. And Thibodeau also has bought in, has the players buying into what he wants, sacrificing. Perfect example, JP, is Julius Randle. And here's what I talked about before. Julius Randle has always put up good numbers. He's never played in a playoff game. So he wants to play in the postseason. And he is motivated to do whatever he can. So Tom Thibodeau was the right coach at the right time. And he's turned Julius Randle not only into an all-star, but the true leader of this team. And uh, they are 
to use that word again, they're very connected at both ends. Is the city abuzz with more Knicks fans showing up or are the Nets starting to curb into that Knicks hierarchy? Well, the, the Nets fans would be, would be mad at me for saying this, but it, it's a Nick town and it's still, that's where, you know, the fans, uh, there's, there's such enthusiasm for the Knicks just being a 500 team, but the Nets are so good. They're so entertaining and they have these three stars that, you know, in any given night can do something that's just extraordinary that everybody's benefiting from it. Um, so not just Nets fans are enjoying it. Even if you're the, the most diehard Nick fan, if you're a basketball fan, you can't help but admire and respect what this team is doing with, with Brooklyn. And it's not just the three stars. They have some really good other players as well. I mean, Joe Harris has turned into one of the elite players, elite shooters, that is, uh, in the game. Uh, Bruce Brown has come out of nowhere to be a valuable contributor to that team. Uh, Nick Claxton, the, the young center, is starting to play well. So, they have really good role players that have fit them perfectly. But it's, it's just wonderful as an NBA fan in New York to have these two teams that are they're really playing great basketball. It was fun to watch that New York-Brooklyn doubleheader for the Jazz earlier this year. This week, only the Nets. But we get the pleasure of having Mike Breen on the call on Wednesday night for ESPN. Mike, thank you so much for taking the time. JP, it was really fun talking with you, and uh, and I'll see if I can have a good TV recommendation for you next time that has nothing to do with Tiger King. I have a good restaurant recommendation when you come back. It's the place, no, the hot no, place of the town. No, there's only one place I go to in Salt Lake City. We'll say it at the same time because I, I know it's the same place. Three, two, one, Valters. Yeah, it's Valters. It's, it's one of the restaurants in the world. <laughs> is it really okay so i asked this of pj carlissimo when he came on the show what makes it the best italian restaurant on the west coast he told me i i just let walter pick my meal i don't even i don't even look at the menu he picks it for me what is it that makes it one of the best restaurants in the world well first off pj is the one that taught uh, brought me there the first time so i owe it okay. all to pj um no, it's just, well the atmosphere is is wonderful. Walter is just, he's just he's charming, and when you go to his restaurant, he makes you feel like you're coming into his home. And you know when you're uh, work the NBA circuit, you're on the road all the time, staying in hotels. To go to a restaurant where it's almost feel like you're getting a home cooked meal, um, it's just it's a wonderful feeling, and he makes you feel that way every time you go in. And then the food is just off the charts. So you can have the nicest owner, the greatest ambiance ever but if the food's not any good well the food is off the charts it's that good and um, i've never walked out of there without anything but saying oh that was an awesome meal best group that you had going to Walters. who was who was the dinner company with you oh uh, I, I i've taken pretty much anybody i've ever worked with there whether okay. it's uv brown doug collins uh mark and jeff Mark Jackson, Jeff Van Gundy, Doris Burke. Uh, when we're with the Nick crew, we all go over there. It's uh, spent, spent a lot of time in Valter's. Don't worry. Valter has gotten free pub on this podcast many a time. PJ Carlissimo, huh. Jim Beheim shouted it out on this podcast. Now Mike Breen. Mike, thank you so much. And thank you from Valter, I'm sure. <laughs> My pleasure, JP. <laughs>